Hello, and here we are, season two, episode two. I am so excited because we have an actor, director, producer, writer. Have I forgotten anything? She does not. She literally lot. does. <laughs> she does it all. Well, today we are chatting to Tamara Bass. Tamara stars in the film If Not Now, When, which released really recently, I think at the start of January, on On Demand. She wrote the screenplay, co-directed and co-produced the film, as well as starred in it. This is such a cool film, it actually marks the first time that two black women have co-directed a feature film that one of them wrote and both of them produced and starred in. She also just wrapped directing the upcoming film Don't Waste Your Pretty, which is set to premiere this summer. I'm so excited to talk to Tamara. I just want to find out how she's managed to do everything during lockdown. She seems a bit of a superwoman. I already love her. I think she's just really cool. Yeah, she's so cool. I'm excited. Right, let's get to it. Bring her in. Before we dive into the interview, we need to mention that at around 29 minutes into the conversation, there is a discussion about suicidal feelings. If you don't want to hear that content, please stop listening then or stop listening now. And we will also link in the podcast description places where you can find help and support about these subjects. It would be great just to start with if you could tell us, um, tell our listeners who may not know who you are or be familiar with your work, if you could give them a bit of an insight into what you do. And, you know, we have, you have this amazing film coming up soon. Um, my name is Tamara Bass and I am an actress, a writer, a director, a producer. Just depends on like what day of the week it is or if it's Sunday, then I'm all of those at the same time. I have this film coming out, If Not Now, When? And I wrote it, I produced it, I starred in it, and I co-directed it with Megan Good, who also co-starred in it. So it's like one of the first time. I think it's the first time that two Black women have ever co-directed and co-starred and produced a film that one of them wrote. Like it was all of these little boundaries we were crossing because people told us we couldn't do it. So of course we had to like prove them wrong. But before that, I've been an actress for years, Baby Boy, Boston Public. um, And then I just kind of took a turn and went to using all of the gifts that I believe I was given. You know, hopefully people won't be like, nah, she should just go back to the other thing. Something I would love to know because you're clearly so creative and, you know, you do so many different things that are creative. How much is your work and whether it be acting or writing or directing, how much is that an outlet for you and a way for you to explore your own kind of emotional journey? Oh, it's it's 100% how I get out, whatever emotion I'm feeling at any given time. I am one of those rare people that uses both sides of their brains equally. So I'm extremely analytical, but I'm also extremely creative. But what that tends to do is it produces a lot of anxiety. I do not know the definition of staying in the moment. Like I'm always 20 feet down the road. Like I have decided the outcome of something that's going to happen seven years from now, just like that's how my brain goes. So in order to harness that, I tend to create. I tend to, when things overwhelm me or if I have um, something that's burning inside of me, I usually express it in some form of art, be it 
I'll sit down and create a web series to deal with a toxic breakup, or I will, you know, trying to make sense of my wacky childhood, I'll create a pilot based on it. Like, that's just how I have learned to heal. I've always healed through art. I've always calmed myself through art. I've always express myself through art. I am one of the biggest introverts. Like I'm an introvert, I'm an empath. So things just affect me extremely deeply. Like I feel like what most people feel at a five, I feel at like a 50. So in order to get through all of those different things, I, I create whatever at whatever given moment, whatever it is at the time, that's literally how I deal with my emotions. That's so interesting how creative you are, like you said, when coping with your anxieties and things like that. I'm just really interested to find out how have you been dealing with the current climate with COVID and obviously the arts are being so affected. Definitely, I've been hearing some really sad stories from um, some of my friends that work in creative industries, particularly the theatre. And it's just, it's it's heartbreaking what's happening to them. How, how have you find found this yeah. I mean, it was the top of the year when it first started happening was extremely overwhelming. It was I'm already someone, like I said, who deals with anxiety on an on a normal basis. I have what they call generalized anxiety disorder. I used to not in the last like five years, but I used to suffer from panic attacks really badly. Like any kind of emotion that was too much for me to handle, it would come out in a panic attack. So the top of the year. I was fearful that I would go backwards in forgetting what my triggers are, forgetting how to cope through it. But surprisingly, it's not, it it became the isolation that got me. And I'm, like I said, I'm an introvert. So I'm, I'm always the one that's never going anywhere, but it's usually by choice. Or if I do something, it's by myself. So it's like to have all of those choices taken away. I'm stuck in my apartment alone like what am I gonna do and then slowly our like industry shut down one by one like oh you can't do that you can't do that and then um they figured out ways for us to slowly go back to work unfortunately live theater is not is not one of them but film and tv they have these protocols set up so I was able to actually break isolation and go and direct a tv movie that's coming out next year and it was a chance for me to flex a different muscle because it was something that I didn't write. So I was hired to do it. And then it gave me a chance to see people again. And then I realized in seeing them, like how much I missed seeing people. I was like, wait a second, (laughs) you're a live human. Can I just touch you? I know we're not allowed to hug, but can I just please like stand close enough to you? But then when you're working, you're subjected to COVID tests like every other day. So finally, like after three COVID tests, I was like, I can have a hug because we're all, and it's, it's those things that I realized I missed, like little human interaction. And it's still hard because we're, the COVID cases are now going back up and we're still trying to figure out what the balance of all of this is. But I've managed to form a nice little bubble that I get to like, as long as I see my bubble at least once a week, I'm actually doing a lot better than some of my more extroverted friends who are having the toughest of times because they're so used to being in groups of people and 
interacting and feeding off of the energy of people that I'm watching them suffer more than I'm suffering. If we move kind of into the emotion of fear, maybe as our first one to talk about, just to start by you know, you've been doing so many different things and you clearly like delve into new roles and doing like, you know, moving from producing to directing to writing to acting. How do you kind of get the courage to put yourself out there with new things? And is that something that you find has a lot of fear behind it? Or do you find, you know, it's more sort of exciting? What's that process like? It's funny. I'm a pretty fearless person. Um, I've had to be my whole life. Like I used to think, that I was more fearful. And then I slowly, as I got older, realized like how little fear I really have. I mean, I left home at 17 years old. I moved across the country to go to college in a city where there was no, like I knew I had no family. I had no one. My family was three time zones away and I did it and I survived and I didn't look back. And that's every mon- every monumental thing that I've done in my life. I've just jumped in. And even if I had a little bit of like hesitation, I was like, okay, I'm still going to jump. Like what's the worst, what's the worst that could happen? And I'd break my leg. Okay. I break my leg. I get up and I try again, but I don't, I don't let fear dictate my moves. I don't allow it to, stop me from doing something. And actually it's, I know it sounds a little weird, but if something does creep up and scare me, I want to try it more. I want to, I'm like the little kid that's like, don't touch the stove. Well, I need to touch the stove to see if it's really as hot as you guys say it is, or you just don't want me near it. So I tend to, I actually have fearless tattooed on my arm because it's a reminder that everything that I've ever set out to do I've done, or if I didn't achieve it, I've learned a lesson in doing it. So it erased the fear of living. It erased the fear of trying something new. It erased the fear of what if this doesn't work out? Okay, if, if, if it doesn't work out, guess what? It wouldn't have worked out if I didn't try it either. So let me go and just see what happens. So I, I try my hardest to live, not to allow fear to dictate my movements. I mean, if so, I don't think anybody in this industry would have started in this industry because it's such a wonky thing. So it's a shame that quite a lot of the time we lose that fearlessness that we have when we're a child. Like, I wish I kept climbing trees. I'm, I'm too scared to climb trees now. And it's, I was so (laughs) funny because I use that metaphor a lot. So I got a bike when I was six and we, I didn't grow up rich. So things had to be put on layaway. And once we finally got it off layaway, of course, I want to learn how to ride this bike. It's a purple desert rose, huffy. Like I was so excited. I had, I had been waiting for this thing. And my mom was like, well, I'm tired. I'll, I have to teach you another day. I was like, hmm, do I wait? No. So I took my bike outside, no training wheels. This is before helmets were mandated for kids. And our apartment complex had this like courtyard in the middle and there was like sidewalk all around like this grassy patch. But the one little part was like the slightest of declines. So I got on my bike and I ran into the brick wall and I was like, okay, I got up, I shook myself off, and I proceeded to do it again until I figured out how to ride the bike. And I was out there for a couple of hours by myself, 
but I learned how to ride the bike. I wasn't, I didn't cry. I didn't, you know, say, okay, I ran into the wall. I'm not doing this again. I was like, no, I'm going to get this until I get it. And now I ride a bike pretty well, but that's how I have always lived my life. Like if it doesn't work out the first time, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to try again. It just means, okay, what now I know, okay, don't, when you get to the wall, you got to turn. You can't just let the wall stop you. So that's what I did. And that's pretty much how I live my life now. (laughs) It's such a great story of resilience. And I think that's just, just perfect. I can just imagine you on this bike going straight into the wall. And I was like, oh my goodness. And the thing was, I was so petite. Like most people looked at me, like I had a, I have a brother who's four years younger. We were the same size. He was two and I was six. And pretty much it was like, well, who, who, what? So I was not even the biggest kid. And I like this big old bike, I, whatever. I was like, this is, this, it'll work out eventually. <laughs> Could you tell us a bit more, maybe more recent um, experiences where you've had this fear or when you've had to be shown your fearlessness or shown your resilience with something that may be initially a little bit overwhelming? Pick a day of the week. It happens all the time. I mean, when we when we set out to do this movie everyone thought we were crazy you know they were like what do you think you're doing like you've never made a full movie just the two of you like nobody else you've never done this before and you're going to call yourself directing it at the same time that you're producing it at the same time that you're acting in it Like we've had like new, every time we would say it to someone, they'd be like, okay, this is going to be a hot mess. Like, we'll see what happens. And I wasn't scared. I was like, you know what? If it doesn't work out, if it, if it turns into the biggest flop, I still did it. I still got up and I tried it. So what's the worst? And I remember sitting, talking to Megan when I was trying to, we had had a different director at some point. And once all the funding came in for the film, she had just booked something else. So it was like, okay, do we not do the movie or do we go back to our original plan and direct it ourselves? And Megan was a little hesitant. And I'm like, look, whether you're on board or not, I'm doing this. But I think that this is something that it's time to push your fear away. It's time to just let's go and do it. And I can honestly say that the end result is something I'm so proud of and something that to all the naysayers out there, we did it. Like it was now I don't, what's next? Okay. What else, what else can you do? Now I have a, um, a web series that I'm trying to get a friend of mine who wants to direct. I'm like, you're directing this. She's like, um, I'm, I'm scared. I was like, I don't care. Be scared all you want. As long as you're <laughs> sitting behind the camera and you're yelling action, you can be scared all you want, but you have to do it. And that's the only way to get over these fears is to just do it. And yeah, do, do I still sometimes look back and be like, oh my God, we were really crazy. Like how, like someone gave us a million dollars and we, we, like, what the heck? But we did it. And I mean, I'd use that. I use that attitude in every approach, you know, be it I'm going to take a new hike today. Never done it before. Might kill myself on this trail, but hey, I'm still going to try it. That's just how I have to live in order to to live. Do you find that when people say to you like, no, you can't do this. Or like, there's no way you'll be able to pull this off. Does that like fuel you in a way, like almost as though it's like, does it make you like want to prove them wrong? And it's like a determination. 
A hundred percent, like probably a thousand percent because it's literally has happened to me my whole entire life. Someone has always tried to put a limit on what they thought I could and couldn't do. Um, be it teachers when I was young. My parents had me when they were teenagers. So there's this already this preconceived notion of what your life is supposed to do, you know, what your life is supposed to be when your parents are 18 years old, you know, you're there, especially as a black woman in America, you have this, these stereotypes thrown at you. You're supposed to repeat the cycle. You're also going to have a teenage, you're also going to be a teenage mom. You're not going to grab... I was like, oh, okay, everything you're telling me I'm not going to do, I'm going to prove to you I'm wrong. So what happens? I go to kindergarten, they recognize that I'm gifted. So first grade, they are like, let's just get out of her way. Second grade, they were like, okay, she's beyond this. So I ended up doing two grades at the same time, got to high school, and I had an English teacher tell me, you will never be an actor and a writer. You're going to have to choose one. I said, oh, is that is that what you think? Oh, great. So let me, not only am I going to graduate high school at 17, I'm going to graduate college at 21 with two degrees, one in theater and one in writing, just because you told me that I can't do both. Like, I've always lived that way. Like, if you tell me what I can't do, I'm going to show you 10 different ways in which I can do it. And that's, it's, you know, it's motivation to get up and keep going, but it's also something that I try to instill. I have an 11 year old who is technically my niece, but she's my child. Like my sister just carried her for me, (laughs) but she, I instill that in her all the time. Like there is no limit to what you can be. You can do whatever you want. And if somebody tells you that you can't do it, we're going to, I'm going to prove, I'm going to show you how to prove to them that you can. I don't believe in putting limits on other people. That's so great that when you were in even kindergarten, that they actually recognized the talent that you had. And rather than kind of stifling that or pushing you to the side, they, they nurtured it and they encouraged you because I hear so often of children who if they were in the right environment would maybe follow a same trajectory, but the wrong kindergarten, the wrong teacher, Mm -hmm. they can be labeled as difficult as problematic. And then they, the system just fails them. So that on my first grade teacher hated me. I mean, hated me because I, what they recognized was I was bored. So she, I, and I talked a lot. I talked so much. And every time she'd call on me, I'd have the answer. And then I just go back to what I was talking about. So, you know, on my report card, it was, you know, she's very smart, but she talks way too much in class. <laughs> my mother was like, well, she talks way too much at home. So what do you propose we do about this? And the great thing was, it, it was a benefit having a mom who was younger. Her thing was, I'm just going to get out of your way. So if they said, hey, we should sign her up for this program, my mother would turn to me and be like, do you want to do the program? And I'd say, sure. She'd be like, she could do the program. It was no, she did, her thing was, I recognize that you were smarter than I was ever going to be. So I am just got out of your way. You mentioned um, your mother. And so something I'd, we'd love to talk about is love, love for your family and love for friends or love literally in any form. What does kind of love mean to you? And what are some things in your life that, where you found that? Wow. Love is probably my 
biggest motivation for everything. Um, everything that I do, be it my art or just just my relationships. I am closer to my friends than I am to my family. I know that's a little odd for some people, but they're your chosen family. And when you, you know, when you live so far away from your family, you you tend to make your own. But my big thing that I try to do in every relationship is love unconditionally. Because for me, that wasn't always a factor in my life. That wasn't always something I experienced. It wasn't, I had a, my grandmother who passed away when I was 14 was probably from the beginning parts of my childhood, the only one that I experienced that from. The only one that I knew no matter what happened or what I did, my Nana was going to stand up and be like, it doesn't matter. You're mine. I'm it's, that was the only place I got that from. You know, I didn't unfortunately feel it from my mom and um, my dad was in and out when I was a kid. So it wasn't the same. I mean, we're, he and I are great now, but it wasn't back then. So it was my grandmother. So what I've done in my own life is make sure that those that I love know that I love them no matter what. All my friends are like, you're the dependable friend. You're the reliable friend. I always say like, if, if you want me on your team, because I go hard for you, I will, I will dig my heels in if I love you. The moment that I don't, or the moment that you're on the opposite team, it's a whole other thing, but I am, I, I lead with love. I, I have a tough exterior because the way I love is so hard. I, I, there is my niece. I'm pretty sure she's over me. She thinks that I'm like, you know, obsessed with her, which I am, but <laughs> it's because I love her. Like I love her so much. And I let her know on a continual basis, like no matter what you do, no matter what you become, you can always count on me. So that's how I, that's how I pretty much allow <laughs> love to rule my life when you talk about unconditional love how are you with forgiveness like I know I've said to guests in the past I am it's very tricky for me to forgive people if they cross me but similarly to you like I have I have friends that I would class as family and I do I'll love them to the end of the earth but yeah how do you find those moments where someone that you love so much but it's just not going right and there's got to be instances, do you forgive and forget or how do you I deal with that? I don't forget. Um, I'm not that person. I will forgive eventually, but that doesn't mean that I allow you back into my life. I have this model where sometimes it's okay to love you from across the street. And I had a therapist once tell me that I was, I'm one of those people that's all in. Like it's either... I'm all in or nothing at all. And she was like, you've got to learn how to balance. And she used this metaphor of a house. She was like, you know, everyone isn't invited into your house. There's some people that you talk to from your front door and they're on the sidewalk. Or maybe you let them on the porch, but they don't come all the way in. And for me, if I've allowed you all the way in my house, that's huge. So if you do something that just deeply betrays me, it's hard for me to ever allow you back in my house again. Maybe eventually I'll let you on the sidewalk and maybe eventually I'll let you on the porch, but you'll never get back in. I used to hold the worst grudges ever. Like, I mean, to the point where 
They could be like, why don't you like this person? I'd be like, well, back in <laughs> when we were six, <laughs> she said, <laughs> and I, so, but I learned that that's not the way to live. Like it's not, you know, it's life is too short for that. I don't hold as many grudges unless it's a big one. I tend to actually hold grudges against people that hurt those that I love more so than me. So it's like, if you hurt someone that I love, it's harder for me to be like, yeah, we're good again. Even if I forgive you, trust me, I never ever forget. You're in, you go into a filing cabinet so that I can be on the lookout for that behavior again. Like, mm-hmm. if you've done it to me once, there's no precluding you from doing it to me again. Yeah, forgiveness is so hard, but that whole metaphor of the house, I think just sounds like a really healing concept, like you've mentioned, letting them onto the sidewalk, letting them stand closest to the door, like you don't have yeah. to send them off like a block in. away. You're, like, you're not coming in, but I'll chat to you like through the window. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> through the screen door. There's a block in here. Yeah, I'll keep you out like with the mosquitoes, but we can still chat. Exactly. <laughs> Could we explore the emotion of anger and what anger means to you? Have there been instances where you've just been overcome with anger or is the way that you deal with anger just a lot more gentle? Um, it's funny because for years I didn't allow myself to experience anger. Like I um, blocked it. I thought anger, I, I think I correlated anger with bad. Like if you're angry, it's a bad thing. And my therapist, I had a therapist for five years. I'm a, I'm team therapy. I believe it's, it's, it's a great, great tool. Um, I had a therapist that basically had to deconstruct all of the things that I have used to build up to, you know, deal with life. And she told me, you know, anger is an emotion that you're allowed to express. It's not, it's not something that, you know, you should be ashamed of. It's not something that's, that you should hide from. It's actually a healthy emotion. It's healthy to get it out because I tend to be hurt more so than angry. And then my hurt can be misconstrued as like, oh, she's mad. And it's like, no, I'm not mad. You just deeply hurt me because I didn't know that you were capable of such things. Now I experience hurt and anger. (laughs) I think it was a a couple of weeks ago, I had an incident come up and I had to call my manager and poor guy. I think I, I wasn't mad at him. I was just mad at the situation. I dropped every single F-bomb available to me. I think I borrowed some from someone else. <laughs> and then he, when I was done with my rant, he goes, can I call you back? I'm at the dentist with my children. <laughs> I was actually proud of myself because years ago, I would have just internalized all of it and kept it all inside and then figured out, you know, somehow made it my fault because I'm queen of taking responsibility for everything and even things that have nothing to do with me so it was good that I got it out and once I got it out you know I took about two hours to like stop shaking once I was done shaking I was like oh can I feel better now I understand what they were talking about with all this I'm not and it allows me actually experiencing that anger allows me to not hold the grudge. It allows me to be like, okay, let me move on. I 
mad. I got it out. I'm done. Whereas I think holding it in and not calling it what it is and allowing the hurt to fester made me keep going back to it over and over and over again. Like every time I would think of it, I'd get hurt all over again because I never actually would sit down with the person and say, you, this, I'm pissed off at you because of X, Y, and Z. Instead, I kept it in. We've talked about a lot before, like with sadness as well. It's like, if you don't like anything in life, if it's like a breakup or if, you know, a loss or something like that, it's like, if you don't sit down and like, let yourself cry and feel all of the feelings or like whether it's anger or like you're just heartbroken or whatever, then you just don't move past it. And it always comes up in your life, moving us into sort of sadness a bit. How do you cope with feelings of maybe feeling really down or even during COVID feeling sort of isolated or feeling a bit low? How do you get through that? And how do you, like, you seem so positive and upbeat. How do you get that mindset? I allow myself to feel it. And I think that that's what happens with a lot of people is that they don't allow themselves, you know, they hear, oh, you're sad, don't be sad, you have no reason to be depressed, you have no reason, so they skip over it or they try to pretend that they don't exist. No, I allow myself to feel all of it. Like if I'm having, a, like the other day, a friend of mine was like, how's your day going? And I'm like, you know what, it's been a pretty crappy day today. I can't tell you why, it's just been crappy. And that was okay. Like I learned that years ago, my mindset was that I have to be okay. So I would just tell people I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. But inside I was dying. Inside I just, I was overwhelmed by life. I was overwhelmed by everything that had happened to me up until that point that I was so conditioned to say I'm okay, which led me to my therapist. And one of the things that she explained to me early on is that you have to allow yourself to feel everything. You have to allow yourself to know that whatever you're going through at every moment is okay. No one is allowed to tell you that your feelings are not your feelings. So once I embrace that mindset, why don't I embrace like, I'm okay. It's okay if I have a bad day, you know, and it's okay that I'm suffering from depression. It's okay that I'm because I'm dealing with it. And once I got through, I always call it my dark period. Once I got through my dark period, which I was in therapy for five years, um, I realized two things. One, I stopped chasing happiness. I sought joy. And once you seek joy, once I, once I sought out joy versus happiness, I've started to live better because happiness is often contingent upon certain circumstances is contingent upon, you know, everything lining up the way it's supposed to line up. Whereas joy is always there. Like even on the bad days, I'm like, you know what? Tomorrow's going to be a lot better. I have hope. I have joy. Everything's going to be fine. No, I'm not happy right now. F you, screw you, but I'm going to be okay. Whereas you know, once I, I learned the difference, once I learned that with joy comes peace, with joy comes hope, with joy comes faith, with joy comes so many other things that are not contingent upon everything being perfect. It's not contingent upon, you know, me getting this job or this relationship working out. It's only contingent upon me that I was able to be okay. So now when I have days that I'm sad, okay, I'm sad. Might not open my blinds today. We'll try again tomorrow. And that's okay. 
I learned that every single emotion is okay. I think I'd like to take like this time just now to acknowledge how important it is that you have spoken to us about this dark period in your life, but how it has got brighter and that you went and sought help. Um, and I think we should just make sure that our listeners are aware that they find themselves in similar situations to hear you say, you know what, we try again tomorrow. Today is not the end and to go and get help. I think that's really, really important. So thank you so much, Tamara, for sharing that. Yeah. And I think that's, it's important to take away the stigma. You know, you have all these people that suffer in silence and then, or, you know, you hear about these people who end up committing suicide and then you go through their social media or you go back through and everything is so happy and bubbly. And it's like, well, wait a second. I don't, how do they go from that to this? And I think it's because of the stigma of mental health. It's the stigma of depression. It's the stigma of anxiety. It's all of these things that society tells us we can't talk about. But the reality is a lot there. We're not alone. You know, there are a lot of people who are feeling the same way you're feeling in this moment. But if we know that we're not alone, then it makes it easier to say, hey, you know what, I'm going to get some help versus us telling these people or telling people like me, like, you're horrible for feeling that way. You have no right to feel that way. Everything is going great in your life. You can't feel that way. That's, that's what makes it isolating. That's what makes it feel like you're by yourself. And no, you're not. Like the person sitting next to you probably just had a big crying fit in the car before they came in to Neiman Marcus and now they're smiling. You don't know. So I think it's like, as long as we take away the stigma and, and put faces to it, then I think we can be better off. <laughs> Even my most like optimistic and bubbly of friends that I'm like, geez, you, I want to be like you when I grow up. They've even experienced days yeah. where they're like, I, I don't know how, you know, how I'm going to get through today. And then it's, it's funny though, because with those people, it became, they became more empathetic to those that's like me who suffer from anxiety on a normal basis. They're like, I, if I, if I'm experiencing this on this small magnitude and this is what you live with constantly, like my hat goes off to you. Now I understand a little bit better. So sometimes I take mental health days and just, you know, watch Snapped all day and go through life that way. And then the next day I'm like, okay, guys, I'm back again. But it's important to have those days. It's important to check in with self. It's important to say, these are my boundaries today. Please don't cross them. And it's fine. On to happiness. One thing that we do with our guests is we have them basically talk about kind of some small things or like little things in your day-to-day life that bring you joy, whether it's, you know, it could literally be anything, but small things, you know, we always use the example of like that perfect cup of coffee or, you know, watching some true crime. (laughs) I cannot start my day without a perfect cup of coffee. It is the small things. Like sometimes I forget, I'm like, why? It's so late, but no, but it's (laughs) No, it's early. That's why I'm drinking my coffee. (laughs) Um, For me, it, it is, it's sometimes it's like going outside for a walk, talking to like, my my niece was with me for two months um, because they were doing remote school but then I had to send her back to Georgia like without fail if I'm having a crappy day or just need to pick me up I can text her or call her on video 
And without a doubt, by the time I'm done, it could be five minutes. My whole day has shifted because she just brings me so much joy. It's the little things. And granted, she's 11 now. So I think like she's over all of us because she's about to hit those teenage years. But she it's like talking to her or I have one friend that when we're together, we laugh 95 percent of the time and that's been from the moment we met each other we have been laughing because i'm like is there a day where we're like not like it'd be like dumb stuff that we're just laughing over so i know like if i hang out with her that's gonna bring me i'm gonna at least guarantee to laugh if we're together an hour i'm gonna laugh 55 minutes of that hour (laughs) so i try to do things like that i try to find things that make me laugh or you know sitting at home watching snack i learned a long time ago not to take for granted the small things, not to take for granted the, um, you know, I don't look for the big things to bring me joy. I can turn on the song and have a five minute dance party by myself. And by the time I'm done, I'm like, okay, whatever I need to face, I can face it now. So that's where I find my small moments of happiness and in the little teeny things that people overlook. You're like, that makes me, that makes me good. You've honestly really inspired me to really try to be fearless this week. Same. <laughs> like, um, I, I am terrified and very nervous before I do lots of things. So I feel I'm like I'm scared need of to everything. Channel that. <laughs> And it's okay. Like the the thing is, is it's okay to be scared, but it's not okay not to do it Mm. just Mm -hmm. because you're scared. So even if you're doing it, like petrified the whole time you're doing it, you're still doing it. And no one tells you that you can't be scared while you're doing it. Just do it. Thank you (laughs) you so so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Enjoy your sleep. You (laughs) should be going to bed and your Sunday. Thanks for listening to Getting Personal. If you're enjoying our emotional conversations, then please give us a like, subscribe, and don't forget to leave a review. It gives us a boost in the charts, which helps other listeners to find us. And most importantly, it's one of our happy little bubbles when we read what you've written. So leave us some stars.